Next on the Well of Sound, underrated solo albums. idea on this episode is to talk about underrated solo albums. But we're not talking about... There's a difference between a solo album and a side project, I think. Oh, define it. A solo album could be a side project, but side projects also include bands and, uh, you know... Okay. Sort of collectives and stuff like that. Right. I, you know, like We're a, not doing that. Velvet right. Revolver is a side project. It might even be a brand new project. And a super group. And a super group. But I don't wouldn't call it a solo album. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, there's no way. So th- this, I think this started when um, <laughs> I texted you because I was listening to Duff McKagan's uh, solo album, <laughs> Believe in Me, which I had never, I remember when it came out, but I never listened closely to it. Um, and... I really like it. Yeah. I, it's not one of... So we're going to do three picks each. Yes. Um, and talk about why we think they're exceptional slash uh, underrated. But um, Believe in Me is not one of them. But I was listening to it on the way here because I was like, oh, yeah, that's where where it all this idea kind of started. And um, damn, it's, mm. it's kind of fun. That's uh, there's um a couple of those slash uh, solo records are great. Really, the Snake Pit, the Snake Pit, not as much as some of the stuff with Miles Kennedy. I mean, the uh, there's you know side project of, for example, I think what's it called, uh, Picture Show. The is is the Stone Temple Pilots without like their lead singer. <laughs> oh, when did that happen? Um, in the nineties. It's it's pretty good okay. without Wyland when he was going. He on was a down and out. or something like that. But yeah. and he did a, but but those aren't. I wasn't focused on like side project bands or bands. You know that that start out as side projects and then become kind of the main project. Right. It's interesting how these things evolve. But yeah. Um. Yeah. I, and I also I also did try to avoid some of the artists we've profiled super closely like i okay like i could have talked about like a robin zander solo album oh yeah um because that's a that's a really good yeah, solo or ian record. hunter or yes but actually that so that's that's a weird thing where it launches into a career i feel like exactly we what we were thinking of is is kind of hiatus projects yeah. um yeah <laughs> but we'll see. It's we not that see. closely we, we may, defined. Uh, yeah. yeah, we may uh, Hunter stray definitely, from the path. He he was one of the people I almost went with, but I thought there's a lot more Ian Hunter solo albums than there were exactly th- with with Mama Ma. Hoople. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, so what when when we started thinking about this initially, were, was there one that immediately jumped to mind? Yes, there was one that immediately jumped to mind. And it's still on the list? We're it's still on the list, okay. absolutely. There's a couple that I was debating about, and there's a few that didn't that were close in oh. the top five. Do you, but I, I can want me... I, yeah, I, I almost did 
Mike Nesmith's pretty much your standard ranch stash. Um, okay, so that's uh, I, I that's cut the that surprise because I thought that was going to be um, in the running I love tonight. it. I love that record. I just don't. First of all, I don't know that much about it, and it's hard to find informa- that much information about. Well, even though as Nesmith recently died, yep, he does have a autobiography and stuff like that. So I could have looked into it, but um, again, uh, that was just one. It was just sort of a judgment call. Yeah, and but those albums are are great. They're fantastic. There's like four or five, maybe five is too many, but they're they're alt country early 70s they say he sort of carved a path for um for grand parsons a little or they were their contemporaries the first national band right that stuff's really good so i almost went with that and the other one i almost went with was robbie robertson of the band did a record in i think it was 1994 called um uh, music for the Native Americans, which is that, that was a like a PBS documentary at that point, and only half of it has vocals on it. Hmm. Um, it's very much a world music type project, uh, or what the, I don't even know what it's considered now. But it was him trying to sort of incorporate his Mohawk um, ancestry or heritage mm-hmm. into song. And there's a couple of it, it's I go back to it over and over. Really? It's got a lot. It, it f- fills me with the same feeling that a lot of those Peter Gabriel sort of later. Uh, releases do oh uh, yeah but um again it just i i felt like there wasn't as much color to it in terms of like what was to be fun to sort of talk about yeah but yeah yeah that's a real that was that was those were the two that i almost went with almost went with. what about you oh just just so folks know we get we got a dog in the house so if you hear some uh, jingling of collars or um yips that's what's happening um and it's raining I, they're not coming to mind right now. I think the the Duff thing was was big. I think it, it, it maybe we'll circle back on it at some point because I I thought about it. It prompted the idea, and then um, listening to it again just on the way here, I was like, God damn, this is fun. Well, it maybe one day we will do that Guns and Roses episode, and we can sort of highlight some that of would that be stuff. great. That would as be great. Well, as like I'd like to do a monkeys episode. So right. Um, there's there's a little a bit of that going on too, and that's how calculated I got. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Save it. Um, okay, so you want to kick us off because I feel like you have one of the the earliest. Yeah. So the first one of mine is "Sing Slowly, Sisters" by Robin Gibb. So Robin is the was the one of the twins in the Gibb, the Bee Gees. Uh, so it's Barry's older, and he's the sort of. Uh, lion-maned uh, <laughs> disco <He> really god <laughs> and he's two his he had two twin brothers well he also had a much younger brother named Andy but they had um Maurice and uh, Robin and Robin was the one with the really terrible teeth and the extremely uh wavery voice right um but who sang on some of their big hits like if you if you think of the beginning of um how can you mend a broken heart yep that's exactly the what very I was beginning thinking. it's like and i think her younger day like it's it's a kind of a kermit the frog yeah but like very sad yeah voice <laughs> sad kermit <laughs> a very sad kermit um I think it. I think he sings lead on, uh, or I started a joke is a Robin right. song. Right. I started a joke, which started the whole world crying. But I didn't see that the joke was on me. 
great yeah. melodrama of the 1960s, and he's very young. So anyway, in 1968, uh, 69, they released this... Double, triple album, Odessa. Right. Uh, which is, and, and they, Robin and Barry, who are the main songwriters in the band, though they write songs together. And Maurice was sort of almost more like the producer type. He, um, they got in, they got into sort of a, a crosshairs about what would be the single. Oh, off of and, Odessa. Yeah, yeah. And um, they, they ended up going, like Robin wanted to go with either the song Odessa, which is like you know about sort a man an epic in the tale. Black Sea, yeah. in the Napoleonic Wars, or right. something like that, and like super missing Baroque. his his wife, who loves the vicar more than he can say. It's just not commercial at all. <laughs> and then there was First of May, which was the Barry song, which is a really good song. Uh-huh. And there's, um, anyway, there was there was I think the other. Uh, that Lamplight was the other song that uh, Robin really wants. So they get in a fight, and Barry wins. And so Robin leaves the band. Oh, wow. He leaves the band. Okay. And this is 1969, I believe. And he cuts a record very early on called Robin's Reign. On it, on which he's like appears, he's in the cover in like Napoleonic garb. He's got this history fascination, but he's also like 19 years old. Yeah. He's really young. Yeah. Um, but he 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 puts uh, he, he he puts out a song called "Saved by the Bell." It was a huge hit. Yeah, I think it's commonly thought that it's the first. Um, released uh, or a commercial single use of the drum machine. Wow. But it's also heavily orchestrated. It's, it's unbelievably overblown and baroque. And so if you know Robin, you kind of are, if you're, what is it, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, like you have to right. really yeah. be on board with yeah. incredibly morose, weird British melodrama. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're from the Isle of Man. They grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I still haven't seen the uh, HBO doc. So, anyway, that comes out and it does Saved pretty well. Saved by the Bell and Robin's Reign comes out. I mean, I like the show it inspired. <laughs> yeah, it couldn't be less like the show. Um, so they, uh, and then all three of them decide the Cucumber Castle is what the boys do. <laughs> which, if you've ever, ever seen Cucumber Castle, it is a made for TV movie. They're attempted a hard day's night, but Robin's not there. They have some songs like Don't, Don't Forget to Remember. Uh huh. Uh, is, is, is it on animated there. It, or no, are there animated parts? It might like as well screen? be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really bad. Is it? Um, but the soundtrack is great. Yeah, some great "Bury Me Down by the River" things on there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, and the odd, odd thing is, is that like Robin would have been really into that project. You get the sense he was probably mad he wasn't on there. Right. But they all record second uh, more solo records and berries and and the second round of. So in, in this sort of hiatus, it's like Cucumber's Castle versus Robin's Reign, uh-huh. and then they uh, go back. To, then Robin records another full solo album called "Sing Slowly, Sisters." Okay, where uh, and um, the other guys do record as well. This record finally saw the light of day. It's been bootlegged for years. "Sing right. Slowly, Sisters." I found it on YouTube. Okay, yeah, and it came out officially, I think, two thousand fourteen, possibly. Mm. Um, 2015 and it is 
even better than I ever realized. It would have. It was a baroque pop masterpiece. At least the first side was. When did you hear it? Did you have to wait until then to to finally hear it? No, I had heard um, one of these bootlegs that was like a highly part of the mystique of this record is that like all the recordings had kind of degraded, uh-huh. and so they sounded like they were coming from another era. Double warble. Double warble. I mean, the, but the first song called "Sing Slowly, Sisters" is about World War One, right? So everyone's writing about Naturally. World War Two. He writes about World War One. Listen to this. This is the beginning of it. Okay. sort of transports me back to when I was listening to the 60s BG stuff and Scott the early Scott Walker stuff and it's so rich it's a lot like his his, his perspective is so weird yeah it's a lot like uh, Scott Walker yeah and then you have a song but two songs later like say la vie au revoir which is more upbeat yeah so it's like Content isn't necessarily commercial, but but the the sound for the time feels commercial. It's heavily it's produced. Sweeping. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Heavily orchestrated. It's it's very strange that none of this was recorded, or none of this was released. Excuse me. Right. I mean, there, there's a song. I'll I'll play I'll play parts of two more songs, and then we're done with this. But everything is how you see me is the next song on there. <laughs> Oh. 
would have been a real classic, I think. Yeah. I, and I know that that term gets used a lot, but I honestly think this could have been a kind of a lost classic. Do you know why it wasn't uh, released? Because he, they wanted to get back together in 1970. Oh. I mean, people didn't even realize they were broken up. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to get back together. They scrapped all of these sessions, yeah. and none of it came. None of it came out. I think like the idea was like they didn't want to re- compete with themselves. They put together an album called Two Years On, which is really, it's okay. It's yeah. not great. It's, yeah. It's much simpler. Yeah. Than this, but then they would go on to do Trafalgar, which is a really right. good record. Right. But you know, that's a miles away from a song like "Sky West and Crooked," which contains one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in a song. I spent years as my father's apprentice. He was a dentist in East Derbyshire. I was open and getting no younger And soon have the hair on my head disappear All my life I can't see how I took it All of my friends call me Sky West and Crooked I was like, when I first heard that, I was like, Wait, come again? I, I can just he imagine He was a dentist in East Derbyshire? Like, where is this? This is a different century. Well, I can just imagine these these handsome, you know, swarthy brothers on the Isle of Man just like holding it down at, you know, town gatherings, just pulling out the guitar and harmonizing. And like, these guys... We're killing it. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a lot of harpsichord. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of harpsichord. And the funny thing is, is if his father, he imagines his father being a dentist, uh, and he was an apprentice to a dentist, and uh, he, he didn't clearly, get any of that love. He wasn't a very good dentist because <laughs> Robin had the worst overbite you've ever seen in your life. But I love the record, and it, I can't believe it's the work of a 19 year old and a 20 year old. The wildest, and he just had a guy who was helping him score all this stuff, and he'd hire 43 piece arrangements, and then uh, you know Bob's Whoa. your uncle, and then they just sc- scrapped it all. And so, like in 2015, uh, uh, a, a compilation with like 60 completely finished tracks comes out including like you know an eight minute song called return to austria you know it's it's got about <laughs> 16 verses we don't need that much oh information but um you know great caesar's ghost these are the song titles you just he's a he's an eccentric um that was kind of buried like you don't even realize how eccentric he was right because the bgs became such a force and where did that so that shift that happened into disco did did Barry like was the driving force but behind simplifying things? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think yeah. I think they were like they were really big in the sixties, and then like they had to the figure 70s, it out. Like they were getting worse and worse, and yeah. then they kind of had to figure it out. But they also, I think, they moved to Miami, and like once you get down there, all the production was happening, and it, right. it, was, it was not a huge leap. Yeah, it was a long leap from the Isle of Man to Miami right. to South Beach, but right. not a long leap once you're down wow. there. Wow, that's wild. Anyway, so what's your first record? Um, so it's uh, it's Ronnie Woods. I've got my own album to do, mm. um, which I. I, I just sense you haven't said anything, but I sense that you know quite a bit about this. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I came to it uh, 
through, um, well, actually not the album, but just my deep dive into the Rolling Stones in my like mid twenties. And I read, uh, old gods, almost dead. Yeah. Did you ever read that? Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis. Exactly. Um, and over the course of reading that book and then sort of piece by piece going through the albums, I really became enchanted with Keith's the 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 songs where Keith had lead vocal happy and and songs like that and then finding this album uh, from 1974 is when it came out I think 19 about 1973 is when they may have recorded it um, but this album felt like uh, just right in the crosshairs of what I liked about that whole early 70s era that Mick Taylor era of the stones yeah um and the sort of the end of the faces and early rod it was just all you know circling around this this one album so just to place you it's uh it's sort of the sticky fingers exile on main street goat's head soup um era with it's only rock and roll to to come around the corner um and all of those i mean it's not. It's not hard to say that those are my favorite Stones albums, but they. What a great sound, right? Incredible. So, it's only rock and roll has Ronnie Wood as a as a co writer. I think is that yeah, well, you know he that acts true. He's not officially credited. I'm sure they must have some arrangement because it's very well known that he co wrote that song. Okay. But it, if you look in the album liner notes, it says Jagger Richards. So that was recorded at um, his house. Uh, Ronnie Wood's house The Wick The Wick And then this solo album Is uh, is recorded there If I could win If I could sing A love song so divine Would it be enough For your cheating heart If I broke down and cried If I cried I Bowie sings backup on It's Only Rock and Roll. Did you know that? Bowie does? Yeah. I did not know that. No. Um, I don't know that I hear it. Yeah. Um, I also don't hear it where he's credited with backup on um, a song on this album as well, which I'll get to in a second. David Bowie is on this record? David Bowie. (laughs) Um, Hello, Brent. It's David Bowie from the music video Ashes to Ashes. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So at this point in 74, uh, the faces are still together. Yes. But Rod has done how many solo albums do you think? By, it's, so he's from a, 70 to 74, he's really been he's cranking done, them out. He's done four. I, don't, I think he's still on Mercury. He's about to leave Mercury. Or he leaves Mercury in 74. So the joke is that um, that's frequently but what Rod was saying is, I've got my own album to do. <laughs> uh, hence uh, I Ronnie naming this I've got my own album to do and that just the, the title and the album cover have Ronnie's sort of self-deprecating attitude and sense of humor uh, I don't know if you've noticed but it says uh, across the top of the album cover it says Ronnie Woods and the <laughs> S is scratched out as if he's pro- probably often called Ronnie Woods I think the very first time I heard the phrase devil may care uh-huh. was in reference to Ronnie, Ronnie Wood. 
Just a guy who oh. just is like, he's up for a good time. He right. loves to play rock and roll. And he's just, uh, I mean, the, the picture on the cover is him like in a Hawaiian shirt, like yeah. rubbing his eyes like he's just barely awake or something like that, right? Is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, like Swamp Dog, eat your heart out. <laughs> it's not. Um, he's got a cigarette between his fingers. It's relaxed. The it vibe is, is relaxed. It is chill. The music is very casual. And yet there are so many play it just feels like a big hang right there are so many players on this album um and i think it's also sort of funny that the first track uh, is dominated not by ronnie but by uh mick jagger by mick even on this so this is it solo i can feel album. the fire what's it the is. first yeah yeah i'll play that party song um so much so i mean i think it does well uh that the faces actually tour with it in 74 yeah i mean it, it makes perfect sense they because i think uh take a look at the guy so it's funny that you mention duff mckagan at the beginning of this episode huh. because my first exposure to this album was izzy stradlin his first solo record called uh, izzy stradlin and the, the juju, juju hounds has a cover of Take a Look at the Guy. Oh, so yeah. I thought it was an Izzy Stradlin song, and then all of a sudden I like looked and was like, it's Ronnie Wood wrote this? I didn't know he had solo albums. Right. So this is like I was 15 or something like that. And so I got into... and then were like, you, you were into the, heavy into the Stones at that point? I had gotten pretty heavy into the Stones, yeah. yeah. But I was like... Um, I, I just... I, I But I was more into Guns N' Roses than the Stones. Right. And so Izzy, if, if you know anything about him, he's like worships at the altar of... Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood, and oh. um, so it makes sense that that would be fit right alongside everything that was on that record. Yeah, and so I love that song. I think Stewart basically co-sings that song. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Him. He does. And then, then so Stewart does a lot of backing vocals on this. Yeah, he's all over the place. And then to find out, like, you also have a George Harrison song on there, right? And which is the next track? Yeah, it's almost like there's a little as much as there's self-deprecating. Uh, vibes there's also a little insecurity to to lead off with um uh this track i can feel the fire which also it says like only rock and roll that bowie also did backing vocals but i can't hear it yeah i see uh, that i'm seeing that right now um but yeah into um far east far man, east man yeah. yeah for with uh george harrison Hello. 
And then Jagger Richards get writing credits on Act Together and Sure the One You Need. Sure the One You Need's a really good song. Yeah. Um, and so also on the album, we got uh, Mick Taylor, we got Ian McClagan from The Faces, uh, and we got some heavy session dudes, Willie Weeks on bass and Mickey Waller on drums. Yeah, that's basically uh, Mickey Waller and Pete and uh, Martin Quinton, or those are... Those are Rod Stewart's sort of solo band. Yeah, yeah. So they're in there. I mean, it's it's a who's who a little bit. So when when Ronnie kind of finally, you know, steps to the front, I just find his voice and his attitude and his emotionality just it's so chill, but it's also beautiful and open and um, mystifies me. Really has some gorgeous sentiment. Um, it's like the, when the pub is closing, you know, it's got that vibe and Stuart's doing backup vocals. So it sounds fantastic. Um, but, uh, I figured I'd play act together, which, um, has the same vibe. I just happen to like it a little bit better than mystifies me. Well, it's been a long time since I've seen you. You're looking good. such a great feeling and the, yeah it's that's exactly right that's what it is to me it's like such the end of the night it was a great night and you're just kind of letting it cruise to dawn with with this and then those female uh backup vocals just elevate everything so good then there's that that song on there cancel everything ah oh, that's thank kind you. of uh, i just love the sentiment i i, I yeah that's exactly I think, right don't i think at some point Keith and Ronnie tour together as like the new Barbarians or something, and that they play familiar. Cancel Everything. They play some of these songs. I think actually. of Cancel Everything often these days. Me too. Me Not too. because of cancel culture, but because I'm just like, make just, it stop. It, or it'd just be nice to just like cancel yes. everything you're doing and just hang, just just get to do nothing. That's, that's exactly. And that's one what, of the lines is cancel everything for a while. This ain't the way things are supposed to be. We're just gonna hang out. We haven't even mentioned crotch music. <laughs> <laughs> that's Willie Weeks. Yeah. It's like an instrumental, and that's how it ends the album. Crotch music, which is also just it's so Stones too. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, faces and Stones. Mystifies right? me was on the on the, that first Sun Vault record. 
that came out when oh, I was really? in high school too. So clearly this is like it has an a in- cult. Yeah, right. This is an influential record for sort of all all the right folks. Um and you know, uh this may not totally land in there, but earlier you were talking about with Robin Gibb the sort of the clash of with commercialism and that some of these solo outings are about stepping out and just really about expression. And he's like calling in favors. He's having fun. It's the, the best. That's the like best thing. Rod has done all these solo records. Right. He's been linked to him. He's right. been doing the faces. Right. I think at this point, like Ronnie Lane has kind of left the faces. He's yep. just and and he's in limbo a little bit. He's like, hell. Yeah. I'm, so I'm the faces are are almost done basically, and Mick Taylor's about to leave. They burn uh, so bright. This, <laughs> they burn. <laughs> they burn so bright. We'll get there. Yes. Um, Mick Taylor's about to leave the Stones and Ronnie's about to step in his place. I mean, this is essentially, you know, prologue to Ronnie's run and well, which still exists in the Stones. Well, I'm wondering if I should go, should I go to my next uh, record? I just want to play Cancel Everything. I'm oh, sorry, play Cancel Everything. Dogs and Englishmen vibe too, right? Just like the the rolling party. 
this just happens to be at at the house. Yeah. So it's like they didn't get out of the basement. I think it captures a period of time that those guys were sort of just... On top of it. On top of everything. It was before the the drugs had gotten mean, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and they kind of... before and, and, and But they had tons of money and freedom, and, and yet they were still had their youth. and Right. I don't know. I, I, it's very easy to romanticize that period of English music. And, yeah. You know, there's so few things worth romanticizing. Like, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> I, think, I think that was a pretty magical time, pretty magical period. <laughs> it seems like it. And yet there's, you know, you there, talk I mean, to those guys that can barely remember it, you know. it's it's it, But it's so enduring. I mean, I remember I listened to... I finally got a list around to listening to Exile on Main Street, you know, like uh, in 2007 or something. That's like pretty pretty late for me to like pick up one of the most beloved yeah. albums of all time, and it felt fresh and exciting, and it's so hooky and wonderful. It's just like man, it's, it's a whole it's, it's a whole world. It's yeah. a, what do we say? It's a pocket universe. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like, it's, it, and it's a time when like technology mixed with skill mixed with like, um, like the recording technology, production techniques mixed with sort of like amps and guitars that were right at the exact right stage yeah. of development, mixing with kind of freedom and and commercialism. They had right. like the means to do it. It it, it was sort of a brew that. That well, works also, for a it's while. like there's, it is sort of a perfect moment because there isn't yet the need for uh, experimentation of structure. There isn't the need to take it apart yeah. at that point. No, it's not. just like peak uh, a, a, of a certain genre. It's reached its absolute peak, and there it is. Well, we're going to return to the Ronnie, this Ronnie Wood record because I've got for my my third choice. Okay, we're going to come basically back to almost very close to same these, era, same sessions, almost the same era. Oh wow! All um, right, I'm excited. I don't but know what, what this chronologically, is. and I think it's fun to switch it up. Is I want to go to David Ruffin. Great, David Ruffin, The Temptation. Now, David Ruffin was born. I found this out yesterday. He was born in a town in Mississippi called Why Not. No. It, was, it was it was spelled W H Y N O T. Why not Mississippi? Can't be. It's it's, it's true. true. <laughs> there it is. Um, so he is the singer that you, you people would be familiar with. He's a sort of a household uh, sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sang "My Girl" for the Temptations. He yeah. sang "Ain't Too Proud to Beg." He yeah. sang "I Wish It Would Rain." The the he was in the Temptations from 1964 to 1968. And was sort of was brought in as kind of a backup singer, and they realized they were had this golden egg laying goose here, mm-hmm. and he's got this voice that is uh, Smokey Robinson well, so called they were, it the perfect mixture of like smooth and grit. They were our temps were already together, and they they brought they in were already Ruffin. together. They okay. fired someone and brought in Ruffin, okay. and Eddie Kendricks was singing all the leads uh, at that okay. point. Ruffin has this hit because Smokey believes in him and says. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to write a song that's going to be perfect for you. Okay. And he writes My Girl. Gotcha. And that is a smash, and it sort of puts him in charge. And it, the Temptations were very um, volatile. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of talent in that group, huge yeah. talent. Otis Williams was really the leader. But um, Eddie Kendricks was this incredible uh, force, too. And there's a musical chair sing that goes on. But Ruffin dominated for about 
20 straight singles. Right. And uh, you'd recognize a bunch of the other songs. They're huge, huge hits. Uh, but he, they, <laughs> he, his ego starts to get too big. You know, it becomes Diana Ross and the Supremes at one point, right. and he wants it to become David Ruffin and the Temptations. Oh, and they're you. like, uh, no. No, sorry. And no. Uh, they eventually fire him. Now, it's very hard to read anything about David Ruffin without the word uh, cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Basically being mentioned in like the second sentence. He's, he's kind of one of the uh, archetypal or legendary cokeheads yeah. of the music industry. Right. And he was actually trained to be a, a, a minister, I think. And he was brought up in in by in, in, gonna he, he brought he was brought up in gospel music, like all of his idols, like Jackie Wilson and Sam Cooke. Yeah. Uh, but when he whatever he finds his way to cocaine, he is just it. It never shakes. He, Can't be satisfied. He dies of a cocaine overdose in I think 1991. Okay. So he he gets fired from the Temptations. The story goes that he started showing up at their gigs and jumping on stage and like grabbing the microphone to sing "My Girl" and like all the people go crazy and they think about it, but, but he's, a, he's really difficult to work with clearly. <laughs> and like, that's the story of David Ruffin is right. the story of an immensely talented guy who was, Just can't be stopped. Very, very, uh, he, he cl- did not, if there's a game to be played with Barry Gordy at Motown where you have to be on the right side of him, uh, Ruffin was wasn't yeah right and so Ruffin also has a brother named Jimmy yeah. who you know what becomes of the broken hearted which is I think for my money one of the greatest songs ever written yeah uh, he sings that he's not the singer though that David is they do right. do a record together so after he leaves that he's still on Motown he releases a I think he my whole world ended which is a big amazing hit. um. But uh, he's—they're not promoting it, or he's constantly getting in fights. He's asking where the money's going, and if if you want to get in trouble at Motown, you start asking like Barry, right. "Where's my money?" Right. And uh, you know, just like what some of the stuff that uh, we talked about with Marvin Gaye, we talked about with Marvin Gaye, yeah. and in fact, he dates Tammy Terrell. Okay, right. I remember this now. And it's a, it's a terribly abusive relationship, right. and he's right. Um, so she breaks up with him, but. So he has two records that come out. They, the singles do well, but the records don't. And then he records this third record. It's called David. Yeah. And while he's recording it, Tammy dies. Right. And that rocks him to the core. Yeah. There's a they're guy. They're not together at that point. They're not together. Right. No, 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 no. She's with James Brown, I think. I believe there's a there's a producer at Motown named Clay McMurray who really wants to sort of champion Ruffin. David. Ru- yeah. Ru- sorry, Ruffin. So they record a record, and it's called David. And like, I guess my my version of this episode is records that just never come out. Yeah, right. Um, in fact, that's how I know it is. Is I I didn't even know it was called David. I I, I early on, I think I bought this on iTunes. You know, fifteen years ago, and I thought it was just called like the unreleased record i didn't even see that it was called david it was recorded in 1970 basically in 1971 so right around the same time that you know the bgs were getting back together Mm -hmm. uh and every single song on there is is brilliant i'm gonna play the very first song uh which is called each day is a lifetime i remember holding you and feeling like a king 
They say that he um, he is like the the one of the great pleaders pleaders like he could plead for something like the, the producer is like sometimes I just stop the table and be like David is there anything I can do for you? <laughs> but elsewhere, okay, the second song. What's the second song? He decides to cover a little tune that had come out about six months beforehand. This song. Oh, that's right. I didn't want you around Those pretty faces always make you stand out in a crowd Then someone picked you from the bunch when glances all it took Now it's much too late for me to take a second look Oh baby give me one more chance Here I Want You Back, sung by a grown man, and it just takes on a different resonance. It really does. Um, it, I wouldn't say it ever, you can't replace that original. It's just hard not to hear Michael Jackson's voice. It's just, uh, it's, but it, David sounds great on it. Is this Motown? This is all Motown. Okay. And this is why Motown basically... It made me think of, uh, uh, I heard it through the grapevine with the whole... Um, Gladys Knight and the Pips versus Marvin Gaye thing where like it's almost like Barry Gordy's like just get the song out there and we'll let them race it out well I I win either way in fact one of my favorite songs from these sessions was uh David wasn't allowed to release but I think he's got the better version of it which you can maybe you can you maybe know this song Mm Help the child who never had a home Heaven help the girl who walks the streets alone Heaven help the roses if the bombs begin to fall Heaven help us all mm-hmm. Take heed to me, listen Heaven help the black man if he struggles one more day Heaven help the white man if he turns his back away Heaven help the man who kicks the man who has to crawl Mm, Heaven help us all Heaven 
Stevie Wonder had an enormous hit with that song. Right. But I, have, yeah, I, have, I agree with you. I happen That's to like David version. Ruffin's be- version better. Yeah. But David, you get the sense David Ruffin kept getting punished or disciplined. Like, and they were like, nope, we're not going to release it until you behave. Oh. And, uh, I don't know if that's totally true, but I know that all of this material is fantastic. Uh, I'll just say there's a song on there that's written by Smokey Robinson called Dinah, where he spells out the word Dinah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, of course, it's all sort of she's dynamite. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's this is pre you know good times and stuff, but it's it's so good, and mm-hmm. it's got and then there's like Rainy Night in Georgia. He does, which is a, a Tony Joe White song, right. uh, you know that Poke Salad Annie that Elvis so had, had a huge hit with, and he does. A, I think he does a version that's even better than the famous version of it. Um, there's a song in there called "You Make Me Do Things I Don't Want to Do," which was meant for Marvin Gaye, and you can hear it, and you can hear that like it sounds like a Marvin Gaye song. Yeah. But it's not. But the last song I would play, which is the the single that never went anywhere, where they, it, um, because they, he said that they weren't promoting him correctly. Who knows? But right. Listen to how good this song is called "Don't Stop Loving." Me. You can hear that sitar, that Motown sitar in the background. It's so good. His voice, like you said, it's just effortless. It's, and it's, 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 I gotta say, you know, it's just held up so stinking well yeah, to right. hear this record and to be like, they never released this. And it was called David. And like, he didn't get another record deal. Didn't, they wouldn't put another record until 1973. Which is called David Ruffin, right? Which is called David Ruffin. And right. it's got, some, that's what I almost went down and I was like, I better double check this. Cause it's I saw not, that it's it not was, that me and rock and roll is here to stay, which right. I love, but right. that's right, right, right. Right. So the rest of his story, he has one other hit, but the rest of his story is really kind of just sad. Sad, yeah. Um, outside of the fact that he and Eddie Kendricks got together and tour with Hall and Oates for like a long time, until basically Daryl Hall and John Oates writes a song for him until um, in the eighties. We're talking about. I, yeah, I saw that that album. Is but there? Like, there's an album version because I, I think, think I saw. Unless it's just a live. No, they they had a live record where they okay. sang. It was like Kendricks and Ruffin and Hall and Oates. Because they're they're absolute idols, but of oh, course, that's eventually I... Daryl Hall is like, there's just too much cocaine, <laughs> like a week, and uh, uh, they. Well, that's what threw me off. Is I go to this the Spotify page for David Ruffin, and it's 
David Ruffin, Eddie Kendrick, and Hall and Oates, like uh, as the main profile picture. It's not David Ruffin on the David Ruffin page on on Spotify. It's the this foursome, and I'm like, what? It's it's worth mentioning, by the way, that David Ruffin had an incredibly cool fashion forward look. He had these like oh those really glasses, thick black rimmed glasses. He looked like he was. Like the the first coming of Donald Glover or something like that. Right, he just right. and he would wear these like wild outfits, like yep. sort of pre Al Green kind of you know almost like nudie suit type stuff. Right, right. Um, I mean, look at that. That's awesome. So that's David Ruffin. I think it's a it's underrated because no one really has listened to it. Yeah. And, um, it could have been a smash, but it wasn't. It's ama- again. Uh, each day is a lifetime. Is just floored me the first time I heard it, but. Uh, what a segue. <laughs> you served it up. The next album from me is Daryl Hall's <laughs> Sacred Songs. Um, I feel like uh, my impression of Daryl Hall has always been corny <laughs> up to the point when... Great I, hair. Great hair. Um all over MTV, right? As as we were kids, um, up to the point when I finally got into Hall and Oates, and I was like, "These guys are phenomenal." Seventies mm-hmm. is a different sound, um, a little folky, and then there's the shift into the eighties, sort of MTV hits that that we know, Man Eater and Private Eyes, and and all that wonderful stuff. Good stuff. And I still don't know what exactly Oates does apparently John Oates wrote the song for Ruffin and I, he, oh right he, yeah he, I don't know what he does either it's one of the great questions he's clearly involved somehow it's a question mus- for musically. the ages yeah, yeah. Um, but so uh, in ni- so this album Sacred Songs is released in 1980 it was recorded in 1977 uh, and RCA uh, shelved it um, because they thought it was weird. And guess what? It is it's weird. weird. Yeah. Before I, I really got into Hall & Oates, I think I found this album first, and I, I was just attracted to Oddball Records. And, mm-hmm. and this is one because of the pairing. This is produced by Robert Fripp of King Crimson. Yep. Um, and who many people, people might have recently discovered because of his and his wife Toya's uh, weekly cover songs on YouTube. They've uh, become a real sensation. In, a sensation. During, during, the during, Sunday uh, lunch. I didn't see it coming. That Robert, I, for, you know, not the, at all. The sound of the guitar on Heroes yeah. by Bowie would, would, would have this sort of YouTube career, but he really lets it all hang out. And so does she. Oh, it's, oh definitely. <laughs> Literally. I want to hold you, but I better not touch. I want to love you by my senses. Tell me to stop. want to kiss you, but I want it too much. I want to taste you, but your lips are venomous poison. Yeah, so in, in 1976, um, Hall & are doing okay. They've got Sarah Smile. Uh, they've got She's Gone, and Rich Girl is is sort of their big, gigantic Those are great songs. first hit. Yes. Fantastic songs. But I think as far as a career goes and the label goes, they don't feel like Hollow Notes has sort of gotten to that skyrocket point that maybe the label believes that they they can. Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's sort of a pause there in 76, 77, um, 
where they're not entirely locked in creatively on on what it is that's ne- that's next and RCA greenlights a solo album for Daryl Hall and he's in an experimental mood um he's known Fripp uh for a few years um Fripp is in uh, has moved to Hell's Kitchen in New York and is doing stuff with like uh Blondie and the Roche sisters when he left King Crimson in 74, or when King Crimson, I think, split up in 74, uh, he pairs up with our good buddy, Brian Eno, for No Pussyfooting and Evening Star. And all, Fripp is also on those Eno solo albums that we talked about in the uh, Genesis episode with Phil Collins. Um, he's he's sort of We're working. talking about the Peter Gabriel stuff. No, we're talking about the Eno stuff. Oh, the Eno stuff. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, Babies on Fire and Another Green World and, and, and that stuff. So he's sort of working out a new phase for himself, um, which he calls Frippertronics, which is looping. It's huh. looping tapes. Um, and what he's working on are, are soundscapes, um, which is a lot of what's on Evening Star in particular. And... Daryl Hall's excited about collaborating in in this way, just kind of figuring out what it is that if they combine their sounds, what it's going to be. And uh, the first thing I'll play is uh, something in 4-4 time. I love that song, and it's also an attack on commercialism. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, biting the hand that feeds, but it's also like, uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's it's got it's new, so new wave energy. It doesn't have the soul, blue eyed soul stuff at all. No, not at all. I mean, the line is uh, sooner or later, it's a matter of money, and then it's just a matter of time. So he's 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 right up there fighting with what will drive Hall and Oates, and then he, he really gets into a sort of an angry uh, uh, chorus of always rhymes, always rhymes, always rhymes. It's pretty great. Um, and and you know what? One of the things that Fripp says about this album and Daryl Hall is that because it was such a fork in the road period, um, because. Uh, Private Eyes and Maneater and all that stuff hadn't happened yet and sort of cemented what we know to be Hall & Oates. That really had RCA uh, release this album in 77 right in that punk, post-punk sweet spot that Daryl Hall might have been perceived differently as far as music history goes. It's more in the Bowie camp than... um, than now i mean 
That's Fripp's opinion. But um, I could see that though. I mean, yeah. it's it's not. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if like what was what was the it did sell okay, right? But it was not really. Or not was it- not really. If if it, yeah, I think it charted and um, it. Uh, you know, it comes out during I think what the album's called Ecstatic. Um, it's 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 right in there. Eighty one is is the big sort of Hollow Notes, you know, explosion. Um, so it's sort of at the right time for folks to pick it out, pick it up on a on a whim. Um, but Fripp is really inspired by this collaboration. I would say on this out. So Daryl Hall uh, really writes most of the songs mm-hmm. and Fripp supplies these sort of soundscape uh this this guitar and looping sound um that's in there that I'll play in a second but uh really this this is still Daryl Hall's show but what Fripp takes from it he applies um to producing Peter Gabriel's second album okay which has some songs that will also appear on his on, on Fripp's solo album. Like Here Comes the Flood, right? Here, it, actually, it's on here both comes, those. Isn't it on? Here Comes the Flood is on uh, Peter Gabriel's first album, which is produced by our bud, Bob Ezrin. <laughs> um, but, but Fripp records, a, Fripp version records a version of Here Comes the Flood, which is I think is actually worth playing because it's a raw version. It's one I uh, prefer, actually. Uh, it has the sound of that Kate Bush special where he that I think I posted on Instagram once where it's just a rawer sound. Whereas the Bob Ezrin sound is maybe overproduced with a lots of, you know, probably kids in the chorus (laughs) as we've seen. I took the old track, the hollow shoulder across the waters on the tall cliffs. They were getting older, sons and daughters. The jaded underworld was riding high on waves of steel hurled metal at the sky And as the nails sunk in the cloud The rain was warm and soaked in the crowd ends up happening on on uh Fripp's solo album which is in 78 after he does after he works with Peter Gabriel and Daryl Hall is um his sound behind a handful of vocalists that are really strong obviously we just heard that Peter Gabriel vocal which is, is so good um but Daryl Hall is actually on a lot of the original version of Fripp's uh, solo album called Exposure. Really? Yeah, and it was taken out because RCA 
had already made this move about not releasing sacred songs in 77. So uh, Fripp had to strip out. Fascinating. Yeah, his his um, his vocals. But let me play a song on sacred songs that melds these two, the Daryl Hall's vocals with Fripp's sort of sonic scapes. So it's sort of meditative stuff, hence the title, Sacred Songs. D- Daryl Hall says that he's, he's, he's after, at that point, was into Aleister Crowley and magic and, wow. and spiritual expression. The Jimmy um, Page. Yeah, basically. He was interested in uh, the Celts and the Druids. And um, there's a really great epic song called Babs and Babs about two lovers. And it goes from from you know them together to them splitting apart, and Fripp just kind of guides us through with his his guitar. It's 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 amazing. Wow, you're the, you're the first person that, by the way, that ever told me about Sacred Songs, and that, that it's also part of this like trilogy, basically. which it is. Yeah, it's a trilogy, and so much so. Fripp, I think, was so enchanted by Daryl Hall as a as a vocalist that when he decides to get um, to reform King Crimson in the 80s uh, with what end up being Discipline, Beat, and Three of a Perfect Pair. Um, it's a totally new sound and a very 80s sort of new wave slash post-punk sound for King Crimson. He wants Daryl Hall to be the vocalist <laughs> for these for this new uh, trajectory. Um, so the last thing I'll play is uh, Survive which is kind of the perfect, for me, synthesis of both styles, which is Hall's really strong, um, beautiful vocals with, uh, with Fripp's sound. You were born in freedom
I just think that's a great song. Wow, I love it. It's so good. I love it. So so does Daryl Hall. Um, and I, I, the reason why I say that is because right now he's on tour with Todd Rundgren, and he's doing and a lot of the set list is from this album. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, I like it a lot. I just love the the. I, I think it's what bringing I'm gonna, me right back into sort of Peter Gabriel world is what right. it feels like. So I think what I'll do actually is um, create a kind of a tighter version of that trilogy um, and and make a playlist because I I've I've always wanted to do that and and I just it's so rich with so many different elements that we've already talked about. We've talked about Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins plays on North Star, which is on Exposure. Cool. Well, my next, my final record, I'm, I'm taking us back. Nice. But before I do, I wanted to forgot, want to tell you one thing that uh, it never made the David album, the Ruffin, David yeah. Ruffin album, because there's an album called David Ruffin and then the one we I've been talking about is David. Yeah. But Stevie Wonder did come in, write a song and produce a song for David Ruffin, which finally came out like uh, like years later but it's amazing and it's called make my water boil <laughs> loving you has been so wonderful do you have and it it's like yeah and it's it's awesome i'll play a, f- a few minutes of it a second of it because it's it's stevie right as he was doing music of my mind uh-huh. had done this for david and it just sounds like a great lost stevie wonder song <laughs> So I don't fun. think it did anything, but it's a great song, and it's a, it sounds like Steve, a, a mixture of Stevie it's, Wonder yeah, and David Ruffin. It's, it's wild to hear somebody else do those Stevie moves, those vocal moves that you drop. You hear that, and the drop, and then the strange modulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, but the, the record I was going to do, which I, I just, it kind of occurred to me today... Um, I almost chose a Ringo Starr record, Whoa. Uh, but I decided not to, and decided to choose a... a, a Did you see w- that yesterday was Peace and Love Day, according to him? <laughs> At noon, everybody was just supposed to take a pause and say, Peace and Love. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ring. <laughs> Richard. Um, well, I was going to go back to the most unfairly maligned George Harrison record. Wow. Which is called Dark Horse, okay. which was recorded at the exact same time as I've got my own album to do. In oh. fact, it has a version of, of Far Miss, East of Man, Man that he wrote with Ronnie Wood. While the world wages war It gets harder to see 
So, uh, the story of Dark Horse is um, Harrison. It's it's a fascinating record because Harrison starts out huge and he right. does All Things Must Pass, which right. is a masterpiece. And you know, with Spectre Not and sad. it's just army of guitars. It's nothing else sounds like it. It's it's a real, it's a catharsis uh, unlike almost any in rock music. Yeah. And then a, a year later, in 71, he does, I think it's 71, um, he does uh, uh, material, Living in the Material World, which in which he like triples down on the, the Hare Krishna sort of Hinduism. And I happen to really like it. It's kind of, it kind of it's, it's one of these records that doesn't sound like anything else. It has Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth, which is a kind of a famous hit. It's got Sue, yeah. Sue Me, Sue You Blues, which is about the yeah. Beatles. But everything else... Is about be here now, the light that has lighted the world. It's it's there's there's one song that references the Beatles, called, the song called "Living in the Material World." It's not a very f- there's no humor in it, and George is usually very funny, um, but I, it's got a great sound to it, mm-hmm. and uh, but the critics hate it mm-hmm. because it's just so preachy. Yeah, and pious. Right. And he's like he's like the original. People forget that George Harrison is the pre-Christian rock. Yeah, he was the original like religious rocker. Right, you know, and uh, that those kind of sermonettes just don't go over well in rock music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's 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 aged well though because it's kind of like its own. Again, it's its own uh, hermetically sealed. Yeah, um, nobody else has universe. really done. That no, not and he's on also that got level. like Jim Keltner and Ringo and Klaus and all these like great players on there. Uh-huh. But the critics hate it; they lambast it. Yeah, and finally he is sort of convinced. Um, he's his feelings are hurt. <laughs> he's uh, and his it didn't go his way, and his marriage is falling apart. Oh no! As we know, yeah. uh, Patty Boyd. Oh right, of falls course. in love with Eric. Eric Clapton. Now, great choice. The deeper you get into that, the more you realize, like George was very. It was a. It was a crazy. Everybody's in a bad place. Everyone's in a bad place. Like it turns out that Ron Wood, like, claimed to the papers that he was having an affair with Patty Boyd. Oh. And then George went on vacation with Ron's wife. <laughs> and he's also apparently had an affair with with Ringo's. It's it's a it's all mixed up. It's a disaster, and he says that his life is Peyton Place at this point. So okay. it's all self inflicted. So he goes though from the reason I say this is because he goes from like the kind of intense spiritual kind of otherworldly vibe of living in the material world to kind of a, a deep. Sorrow and kind of and shadow sh- version. shadow version and yeah. like he almost he doesn't abandon the Hare Krishna it's still there yeah. but it's not there in the same way right but he's also doing he rehearses he gets ready to do oh yeah it's been raining so hard that we got an emergency flood warning oh my goodness he announces a tour um, and he's going to be the first Beatle to tour uh, after the break with the Beatles. America, like he's going to do a North American tour okay. in 1970 through four. Okay. Um, and so he, but he wants Red Rose Speedway's happening. <laughs> They're he, carting all over he UK. Wants the UK. He wants to uh, release a record beforehand, and so they like rush this record called Dark Horse. Yeah. And the thing is, he's pushing himself so hard, and he's drinking so much, or whatever he's doing, that he gets laryngitis. Okay. And so. Uh, a bunch of the songs on this record 
have him with laryngitis. So people hate it. Like they think it's like, I mean, here you can hear laryngitis. Here's the here's the song Dark Horse, which is the the which became his record label. But this is the top yeah. titular song. instantly love that song of course i i realize i know that song but it's magical it's such a cool song it's got and a I little think... cat stevens in it almost yeah but the fact that he managed to get cool jerk into <laughs> cool song lyrics jerk. <laughs> i love it i happen to think his laryngitis voice sounds That's incredible great i totally and agree. like I, in 1974 people were like it would be very hard to be george harrison because like uh People just wanted to hate on him. He was the cool jerk. He was <laughs> he was not playing the Beatle George that they wanted. Right, and they course. were they basically all the Beatles. We went through it with right. McCartney. All yeah. of them go through this period where they have to sort of break away. Yeah. But then you listen to like the the instrumental they recorded at the very beginning of the record is called Harry's on Tour Express. And mm-hmm. this is how listen how good this sounds. So it's it's beautiful. Who slide on that? Him, yeah. George oh, is playing. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. There's um, it, and he. It's got a little Rockford Files vibe in there that I <laughs> don't mind. Thank you very much. There's a song they release a big single called "Ding Dong Ding Dong," which is his, his attempt at a Christmas single, and it doesn't really go anywhere. But I again, I like it. Yeah, this is it. Spectre thing. Yeah, a little Roy Wood. Yeah, a little Roy Wood. He's yeah. actually trying to compete with those songs. Yeah. 
And uh, it's a full-blooded production. I like it a lot. I like it. Uh, he gives a song to Alvin Lee from 10 Years After oh, yeah. uh, called So Sad, uh-huh. um, which is all about, again, his breakup with Patty. Yeah. And, and that hasn't even happened yet, but he, he knows it's, it's coming. Yeah. And uh, then he records a version of that, which I think is self-deprecating. And you, you've gone from the holier-than-thou guy to like the guy who's like, my life is an absolute shambles. It's a soap opera. Right. And I'm barely holding on. And I've got this... Uh, Laryngitis. <laughs> Some people call it instead of country and western. He 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 made up a genre called country and eastern. <laughs> That's good. But simply shady is the first song with vocals on there, and people uh-huh. didn't like it. But uh-huh. it's all about him basically buying drugs and like uh-huh. being debauched. I think it's great. Have you ever heard it? No. Listen to this. Somebody brought juice up. I thought I'd take a sip. wrong about sort of sharing um the spirit of i've got my own album to do it's got that it's got end of the end of the night vibes it's got end of the night vibes and here he is though sort of saying this is the same old story that everyone's seen like it's i'm I'm just a, a little bit of a cliche yeah and i just i just like the um george would spend he would take forever on records going forward especially like once he reaches like the jeff lynn era yeah and this was the bloom coming off the rose like he was no longer people say this is where he lost the beatles magic yeah this is where you'd only see flashes of the brilliance again but for me it's just such a different kind of george harrison record it's 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 really um grotesque is not the right word it's just ravaged yeah and um and yet I love the I think some of the songwriting is beautiful uh and I think that the 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 humility or the and the slide guitar is just um kind of what I'm looking for I feel like that what's exciting about the Beatles in the 70s is that it it really feels like firsts across the board nobody had ever been that big and then broken up we talked about this with with McCartney but it's like they're forging a path for what it's like to be gigantic and then still be young and have things all fall apart and be aimless and figure out what how the hell to go on yeah 
which and that's where we find me, him in this because right. he's lost his his which best friendships me, have died his right. his, 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 his marriage marriage is over his band is over he doesn't really know what he's doing he does this tour that is terribly received because Ravi Shankar is up there most of the time and people are like <laughs> please <laughs> enough with the Shankar but it's, I'm stoned but not that stoned yeah. <laughs> and it's like really people basically all around America people it feels like he's tr- trolling America. <laughs> also wearing overalls the whole time which is an interesting vibe well it helps me understand because i didn't because i was in elementary school at the time it helps me understand why cloud nine felt like such a big deal do you know what i mean yeah. when that album came out it, it felt so celebrated and it felt like it was everywhere and it's a re- return right from the depths yeah and then traveling uh, wilburys then wilburys and then he sort of decides i mean George, someone said that he like his later records are just sort of a internal conversation. Uh huh. Um, he, you know, I I feel like George Harrison. If you watch the Scorsese documentary, I think he had some real wisdom and kind of like didn't really care about a lot of unimportant things. Right. And I mean, he was still he was not full of himself. In fact, yeah. And all these guys always wanted to hang out with him. Right. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I don't think he'd really ever touched got anywhere close to all things must pass again but i think there's still yes he he goes through a period of like six or seven of like the, i think what could probably be considered some of the worst ex beatles records and include some of the ringo stuff wow oddly enough he would like throw ringo a couple songs every record yeah. or two and some of those were his best like more beatlesque huh. type songs yeah like, but for example, when he was Almost recording, as if he wasn't interested in that anymore. Yes, when he was, I, I've got it in me, but I don't really want it. I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to move on. I'm trying to move on. Doing a lot more soul stuff. Far East yeah. Man is kind of like a soul song about a right. guru, and it's um, but it's also like yeah, it, it, I I've let everyone else down. I'm not going to let him down or something right. like that. Right. The uh, the the writing he does for Ringo during this time, like photograph, I think is. One great. of the great songs, but it's again, totally. it's about lost love, and it's right. not un- dissimilar to "So Sad," the song that's on Dark Horse. Yeah, but Dark Horse just got maligned because of people were working out their feelings about the Beatles and had these expectations. That yeah. I always think it's interesting to go back and just see strip those things away. Yeah, and how does the music sound? There's one song in here that's really unlistenable. It's like a a rewrite of "Bye Bye Love," the but every other song where he's sort of. Yeah. Writes about Harrison and Boyd. Uh, sorry, Clapton and Boyd, and it, it's kind <laughs> of. Sad. It just is like it. He he clearly thinks it's funny, but it's like a it's like a drugged out person's idea of something one. that's funny that's not funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas like I can get into Ding Dong, Ding Dong. <laughs> <laughs> I really can. Who can't? Who can't? So that's me. That's that's and there is a little bit of Hari Krishna at the very end. Enough to know. Uh, it's a good song called. Uh, Jashri Krishna. Jashri Krishna, excuse me. Um, so that's me. Those are my three albums. That's awesome. Those are great. I'm really excited to dive into Dark Horse. I love that song. Um, okay, the the last one for me is a score. It's a soundtrack to a movie. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, in 1982, uh, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, is finishing making The Outsiders. He's really feeling S.E. Hinton. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know, um, I know where it's going. Yep. And uh, he's shooting in Tulsa, and he kind of falls in love with 
the book Rumblefish and decides to make a movie of it. He's really relates to it because of the brother story in it and and there's sort of hero worship of the older brother in coppola's case his older brother was um august coppola father of nicholas cage <laughs> so i pull in nicholas cage here but what he decides with rumblefish is that he really wants it to be an art film mm-hmm. and it very much is if you've ever seen i've it. never seen rumblefish it's fantastic I think it's a great movie. It has an incredible cast. It has uh, Mickey Rourke, right? Mickey Rourke uh, Dennis Hopper, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Diane Lane, Tom Waits. Um, I'm probably forgetting some folks, but it's 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 really good. And he also wants to uh, stylistically, he's going after German expressionism. A cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a, a big influence on on this movie. So it's shot in black and white. In case I didn't mention that. Um, I didn't know that. Rumblefish is in black and white. Yep. And just as much of an element as as the visual aspect is the sonic aspect of this. He had also just seen Koyana Skatsi, which has a lot of time lapse in tune with um, this incredible score, the Philip Glass score. Yeah. So he's like, I kind of, I want that. So he decides that a traditional composer is film composers not the way to go but rather he wants to work with a musician to get an artist's approach for an art film and he is led to Stuart Copeland of the police uh the drummer for the police and were the police still together at this point they are but they're not at synchronicity yet which is 84 so height of their powers almost obviously there's infighting because there's always infighting with those guys but it's it's not at the breaking point yet and Stuart copeland is this really interesting person that i've sort of kind of fallen in love with since we uh at one point you and i were talking about doing a live version of this podcast um and just going like what what about the police and i really went down that that road where I, i i I didn't. I think I had the police's greatest hits, yeah. and and then uh, Alexis, my wife, had uh, the box set uh, "Message in a Bottle," um, which pulled message me, in a box in a box. Thank you, uh-huh. which pulled me in deeper. But I and I enjoyed it, but I hadn't really like gone deep until I decided to to really get into it and discovered all this cool stuff about these guys, but in particular, Stuart Copeland, whose father uh, co-founded the CIA and the OSS. What? Yes. Um, what? Yes. Which, <laughs> uh, sort of a, an original an original spy um, back in the uh, uh, 60s, 50s and 60s. Um, and uh, I know he, he grew up across, overseas, mostly. Right. That's, that's what brought him. I think they lived in Cairo at, at one point, and, um, but the, he ended up in the UK um, in the music scene. His brother ended up founding IRS Records, which was responsible for launching R.E.M. and the Go-Go's and Fine Young Cannibals, so a big part of the 80s. Yeah. So Stuart Copeland gets into the music scene through Curved Air. Yeah. Do you know that band? I, we, the, the, we, there's some sort there's of connection. There's a Roxy tie-in. A Roxy tie-in, yeah. I think, One um, of the bassists or something like that is from Curved Air. Yeah. Oh, gosh. His name escapes me. He did a great... He also did a great score for um, The Long Good Friday. 
Oh, God, I'm forgetting his name. Anyway, so Copeland's in the police and already had uh, done a solo album in 1980 called Clark Kent. And Clark Kent was, the the whole premise was um, that he never showed his face. They went on top of the pops and uh, Andy Summers and Sting and a couple other people backed him, but they were all in disguise. So nobody ever knew if, Clark Kent was actually Stuart Copeland, huh. his alter ego. <laughs> um, and finally, he revealed it. But even the mu- there's a couple music videos, and you never see Clark Kent's uh, face. So people were like, "Is it Stuart Copeland?" Right. Um, I listened to it. Uh, his voice is just not uh, a good lead vocalist vo- voice. I am the neatest thing that ever. To listen to him, he's he's sort of on par. He's like a, the music's version, pop music's version of Tarantino, right? right? He's sort of firing on all cylinders. He's pulling everything together. He's sort of a mad genius. Yeah. So he's really fun to listen to. I think he has, he's on TikTok and Instagram, and he regularly posts videos and takes questions from drummers all around the world. It's really fun. Yeah. Right? Um, so... He's up for this. Mm-hmm. He's up for scoring this. <laughs> Rumblefish. Rumblefish. There's a theme of a ticking clock with this movie of time running out. So he really embraces that. And that's what you'll hear in, in this score throughout. Um, that uh, it's, it's just exciting. It doesn't sound like a, your average movie score. There's always something new happening. Um, but I'll just I'll, I'll play one one track here to get us in that uh, is evocative of, of time. that's the case with with a lot of these songs they just sort of build and build and bring in all these different elements and so much so that so it was shot in Tulsa and Copeland goes to to Tulsa and starts pulling um elements of sound from the streets of Tulsa he'll go into bars um he'll get cars passing all of it's integrated into this another soundscape another yeah. collage um and and this one uh, which is called Tulsa Tango has a little bit of that I'll play that too
Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, do, do you like listening to it apart from the the? I do, and here's why: I, I do it. I, I listen to it when um, I'm working. So th- that's almost like you know another part of me. Okay. There's music that I, I tend to listen to that doesn't have lyrics, and I search this stuff out, and I have I. It's as much a part of my music listening experience yeah. as pop songs, rock songs, all all this stuff for you know those other times when I can focus on that but when I need to focus on something else I'm always looking for these soundscapes and I realized as we were thinking about this I was like this is a solo album yeah you know absolutely. this is this is something up, it, it is part of this movie but it stands apart from it as well and stands on its own that's really interesting you know I think that Stuart Copeland I I just will um uh, confirm or affirm what you're saying like he is very fascinating i mean he's he's he does have a tarantino like quality to yeah. him a kind of a nervous energy that's right. like um overwhelming if you were probably in its presence too long but right it's, exactly it, it, like you can tell that there's a lot of artistic uh, a non a live wire uh energy that is just infectious and i i think i always i hope we do get around to doing a police episode i will say on the police records the copeland written songs sometimes are interesting but yeah. they're off, often the stuff that you you listen to once right um, right right there's a couple that i really like yeah yeah uh but there's a, there's like most of them are sort of like skip um <laughs> and yet i but just his re- presence in the other songs even if he doesn't oh 100 percent like incredible like what a threesome those guys are it really feels even-handed between the three of them when you watch i watch their their reunion concert yeah and him just playing what he's able to do with the drum set on Message in a Bottle, for example, yeah. is absurd. Yeah. He's playing the melody of the song. <laughs> like, the other guys are the rhythm. Like, yeah. it's on a drum set. Yeah. And it, nothing's ever the same twice, and yet it's... No other drummer sounds like that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, so, I will have to check this out. I really have to check out Rumble. I went through a... I went through a... I watched... Um, uh, I watched uh, The Outsiders, like the new cut of it last year. Oh, is it I, good? I did enjoy it greatly. Um, it's a great movie. But I didn't get to Rumblefish. There's a itch. <laughs> you know what the poor man's version of Rumblefish is? Is what? Streets of Fire, oh, which well, we'll they- <laughs> talk about with our Meatloaf and Jim Steinman episode coming up. Well, I was also thinking about with David Ruffin, like you realize he was getting shelved right as uh, Meatloaf was joining Motown. I wonder if people oh recorded God. any songs that were just had been. I, You're there, totally there, there right. Could be a possibility. Some, some rough and runoff. Um, so there is one. The last song I'll play uh, has vocals in it, and uh, Copeland does not sing the vocals. Instead, Stan Ridgeway uh, sings, uh, and he was the lead singer of Wall of Voodoo, which is a band that I didn't really know until uh spotify served up uh far side of crazy for me which i really enjoy and i made a kind of a whole playlist around it it's very sort of croony and broody um it's a great song but um i'll play don't box me in which actually did got radio play off this this soundtrack
sounds a little like one of the Stuart Copeland written it, police it, songs. It's exactly right. Yeah, it really does. If you listen to it enough, it gets your ho- it right. gets its hooks no, in I, you. I, I have appreciate stuff that I can just put on like a like an Eno record that I yeah. can just sort of it can I can allow it to wrap wrap me up as I'm thinking about something else. The fun of this whole Copeland trajectory is now where you see his name crop up in all kinds of movies. Um, because after this, he took to uh, film scores. He's, he's done quite a lot. I guess he did the theme to The Equalizer show uh, with Edward Woodward um, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, he did the score for Wall Street, Men at Work, Surviving the Game with Ice-T <laughs> and Rutger Hauer. But it's that like that's what you're going to get. Um, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Okay, I've seen it. Uh, me too. And then a favorite of mine, Gridlocked, with uh, 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 Tim Roth and Tupac. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just uh, you'll every once in a while, it's almost like the Cheap Trick stuff. When you see Cheap Trick's name, uh, a Cheap Trick song in an 80s movie, you're like, oh, what? It's just <laughs> what Copeland's like. Well, it was a fun exercise. Yeah, totally. What do you want to send it out with? I feel like what started it. Is tough. <laughs> Believe in me. Believe in me. When I was a young boy, said some man part of something. They said, Believe in us. Why should they lie to me? Now I'm not a young boy. What I believe is what I believe. But I still get fooled sometimes. It's so goddamn easy.